grief is just love that can't be expressed anymore. The loss, the grief, it doesn't go away. To know that my words may have had an impact on him or, you know, the way that I treated him probably had an impact on him negatively when he was already going through the hardest point in his life. You know, that hurts me. I think he really was kind of scared, actually, of what was going on with him. It is my opinion that the road to recovery and health is not a one-size-fits-all. I gave him two choices. You can go to inpatient rehab while you take this time off, or we're going to get you into start seeing a therapist. In addition to seeing a therapist, I need you to go to a psychiatrist. We were starting to see the Eric that we knew come back. Hey, how's it going? Eh, you know, it's going. Okay, guys, we're back. We are in episode nine. Like, can you believe we've done nine episodes already? It's crazy. Well, I remember... I remember when uh, you first were like, hey, I'm ready now. We're going to do this podcast thing. And that was like, feels like forever ago now. <laughs> like, <laughs> we've been doing but this literally- for like, I mean, even prior to us actually recording anything. I mean, it, yeah. we it's been uh, almost half a year that we've been working on all this stuff. Well, we've we, we started, we started- talking about the idea th- about three years ago. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, when we actually started really looking into it and, like, getting ready and, like, starting getting to ready. record, getting yep. all the stuff prepped, that was, what, mm-hmm. like, April, March, April, that we, I think it was March that we were, like, okay, let's do this. Something like that. Yeah. And um, then and then all of that prep work the full month and a half before we actually even recorded the yeah. first episode. Yeah. Now we're in our rhythm. It's been, like, a month and a half of uploading episodes. and More than that. like. We're in August. We started in May. Oh, you're right. Feels like a lot less. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. nine episodes. This is the number nine. Um, and I think what I wanted to start with, what we kind of talked about um, going into this episode, was um, wanting to talk to you guys, uh, listeners, watchers, uh, and the people who are supporting us. And we're kind of at this point in the podcast where pretty soon um, we are going to be done wrapping up this story and kind of, you know, like we've said at the beginning, we have some intentions and some driving forces behind why we want to share the story and why it's so important to us, why we want to be raw and vulnerable and real about all of the stuff that comes with this type of situation. Um, However, so we still have, you know, a handful of episodes, (laughs) believe it or not, episode nine, we still have a handful of episodes coming because we are, we've backtracked to give you some context leading up to Eric's death. About this, yeah, about this particular story that, that inspired us to even start this in the first place and that we wanted to talk about. In right. our experiences, we still have, uh, you know, quite a few things to talk about in terms of what happened after his death or, you know, why he died, what happened in the aftermath of that. And even yep. just all of the 
all of the things that people don't think about you deal with after a death like that. You know, we, we still have plenty of things to talk about in our experiences with all of all of those. those exactly. Things. I mean, we I mean, we even got haven't gotten to the point of like we still have to talk about me starting to date the whole, you know, getting remarried thing and all of that, how that impacted you. So we're not done with the journey yet around the story of losing, you know, Eric, what happened as it unfolded this last handful of episodes, we've taken you back in time before uh, he died to give context to the traumatic nature of the things that had happened right before he died, which made his death even more traumatic for us. Um, And so what I want to talk to you guys um, who are listening and watching us about is that Isaac and I are very aware of the fact that we have a unique relationship in terms of uh, parent-child, mother-son, um, uh, and it's not something that you commonly see. Not that we're like the only people that have these types of relationships. I know there are lots of people that have really good relationships with their children, but I think in the podcasting space, there's not like a ton of people who are doing what we do um, in terms of having these like really raw, open, deep discussions about, you know, really personal topics um, and challenging um, topics, topics that are full of stigma. And, uh, and so what we're, we're essentially coming and asking a call to action for you guys is we're starting to think about okay, we're getting to this point where we're going to be wrapping up season one. We still have several episodes. Don't worry. (laughs) We're not done yet. Um, But beyond that, um, we want to continue to expand the podcast. We're enjoying it. Obviously, we're getting good feedback. I think that we have several different ideas of how we'd like to take this forward. Obviously, this season was a very purposeful season. It was telling our story. It was telling Eric's story. It's about a specific thing that we feel really strongly that is important for people to know. Um, We also have an interesting, like, dynamic between the two of us. And so I do think that um, there's a lot of different directions that we could take this podcast. Uh, We could go topical uh, with the two of us, uh, you know, discussing specific types of topics related to, like, mental health or grief or loss or trauma or We've talked Actually, about anything having, else. Right. We've talked uh, about having guests on, um, you know, yeah. especially different various professionals and things. We've had a few people uh, reach out to us and say that they would like to be on our podcast to, to either share their personal story um, because they resonate with what we've been talking about or even, um, you know, psychotherapists and doctors and, and certain things to talk about uh, some of I those also, issues that we've ta- touched on. Yeah, I also would... I also have some ideas around some people that I find very interesting and touching on the topic of resiliency. Cause I do think that that's one of mm-hmm. the things about Isaac and I, uh, that is a little bit unique is that we're very resilient people. Um, <laughs> clearly because we're very openly discussing, um, this extremely difficult subject and, um, traumatic period in our life. And so 
Um, so the, the call to action for us is this is what we need from you guys. If you're at this episode, you're on episode nine, chances are you've been following the podcast, right? You've been listening to the episodes. You've been coming along this journey with us. You clearly find some value in it. If this is the first episode you've listened to and you're enjoying it when you, when we get past this part, um, you're going to want to go back to the beginning and start at the beginning So what we need from you for us to be able to figure out where to take this podcast after we're done with this story is, well, first of all, we need you to share the podcast. So if you're enjoying, and I say that loosely because obviously the topic that we're talking about is a heavy topic. It's not an enjoyable topic, but if you're enjoying the dynamic- yeah, if you're resonating with what we're talking about, with uh, you know us being open and honest about our experiences with these things, if they have helped you or you think they're going to help somebody else that you might know, yeah, um, yeah please, please share. We need you to with, share. Yeah, and 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 the easiest way for you guys to share our podcast is to share it on your social media. Like I think almost everybody and their brother has some sort of social media, so share it. Uh, tell your friends about it. We want the story to get out because we do feel like there are some very important things that, again, as the story continues to unfold, will come full circle um, for you. Um, so sharing. Uh, the other thing that we need from you is whatever platform that you're listening on. So if it's YouTube, it, subscribe. You ha- Like our episodes. Each episode, like it put a comment in the comment box. Those are things that help us get traction so that this is um, made visible to other people. If you're listening in a podcasting platform like Spotify or Apple, um, you know, again, like the show, follow it, rate it, give it a rating, leave a review. And if you don't have the ability to leave a review in that way um, or comment in any way, um, go to our social media pages um, and, you know, uh, leave your comments there. The other mm-hmm. thing that you can do to help us is tell us what you want from us going into season two. Um, do you want us to go topically and talk about specific topics? And if so, what topics are you interested in hearing him and I discuss? If you want to have a mixture of us also talking with guests. What type of guests are you interested in hearing from? Um, is there something in any of these episodes? And as we continue to do episodes where you're like, oh my goodness, I want them to dig into that a little bit more or give us more insight about that particular topic as it relates to them or their experience or how they view it. So we need that feedback so that we can start to plan that out and figure out what that looks like. Um, and so how you can do that is, again, if you're on YouTube, in this episode, put your comments in the comment section. Give us the ideas. What do you want to see after we finish telling this story and we start season two? If you are in another podcasting app, go to our social media. We will be posting a post on our Instagram and our Facebook, our TikTok um, yeah, those are the that's, three I think we have. That's it, yeah. Um, 
And we will uh, just have a post here that says, leave your comments below. Give us ideas of what you want us to talk about. So we'll when even this episode leave our, drops. Um, I was going to say, what, we're even going to leave our email, our yes. podcast email in the description our, as well. So if you want to email exactly. us directly or talk to us directly, you can do that as well. Uh, absolutely. So again, we, we, we're we really enjoying this um, and, and we want to, we have ideas for how to take this beyond um the story when the story is done and how to evolve from there. Um, but we want to get your feedback. And, and again, the more that this is shared, the more that this is liked and commented on, um, the more exposure gets the more people who might benefit from what we've experienced. So if you can share this podcast, you just go to the link tree. It's the a link and every episode, every description, there's a link and you can just share it. Share the link has all the podcast info. We are like working on a website. It's almost done. Um, so that'll eventually get updated, but, um, on your social media, if you just help us out, I guess. So that's our call to action for you guys. Um, and before we jump in, uh, the, there's two more things I want to touch on. As you can tell, for those who watch the podcast on either Spotify or YouTube, I am often wearing uh, It's Going merch. So like this hoodie you've seen in the video a couple times. Uh, I have my little It's Going coffee cup. Sometimes it's coffee. Sometimes it's water. Sometimes it might be wine. Um, we have various things. There's a reason behind this. Obviously it's in our link tree. If you guys find the humor behind how's it going, it's going, we have a few different versions of that, um, in our, we have a shop, you know, so you can buy it. It helps the podcast. It supports it. Um, if you have the same type of humor we do in terms of, uh, the saying, or you just want to support our podcast, go check it out. Um, the reason I'm always wearing it is because the one thing I didn't want to have to do is figure out what I was going to wear in video every single time we recorded our podcast, because you have to think about copyright and intellectual property. And like, you can't, that's why they blur things out in like reality TV shows. Like if you don't have specific sponsors, you got to be careful what shows up on camera. Well, we own this. So if I look like I'm wearing the same thing every day, uh, I am <laughs> for the podcast because it just makes my life easier. But if you like any of it, it's comfy and it's not that expensive. So, you know, you can check it out and help us out. That supports the podcast. Um, did I miss anything on that, Isaac? I think that's... Well, and also just in terms of the, the call to action kind of thing, if you guys have any suggestions or, or things... Um, for the merch like eventually we'll we'll come out with some different designs and stuff in the future as well as we yeah. progress in the podcast so um feel free to throw some suggestions our way for for things that you would want or or you know well and i think too that as we grow and as people continue to share this um podcast as we build a community i think it would be awesome to have a facebook group or a Patreon or, you know, something of that nature where we're able to have uh, more access to a group of people um, 
to discuss and and have a community uh, surrounding some of these more challenging topics that are harder to discuss um, and things that people deal with regularly. Um, And so, you know, as with any friendship community group of people, sometimes you get some inside jokes, sometimes you develop your own phrases. And so, yeah, I mean, the merch would evolve, but we also can do that with your help as well. So um, so those are the ways that you can interact with us that um, we would love. We really would love your ideas as far as how you would like to see us take this podcast forward. We had a very specific intention um, for this first season, but we have many different directions we could take it going into season two. And we just want to know what you guys think, you know, like what you want to see. Um, we can also do, you know... I, this is a very serious topic for us. And so we're talking about some very raw and deep and vulnerable things, but like Isaac and I also have, you know, our own sense of humor and banter. And um, sometimes we have some good debates on things too. So, I mean, literally you just give us ideas, tell us what you want to see. And if you're like, love the story, we just wanted to hear the story. And like, we don't really care if you podcast after that, then like you can share that with us too. (laughs) That's what we want to know. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then, and then beyond that, um, I think the only other thing we wanted to touch on briefly before we get back into the, the meat of things and the, and the story as it continues um, is we've, we've had some people kind of ask us or wonder, you know, how we're able to talk about a lot of these deep, dark uh, topics and, and that are very close to home and, and be, be vulnerable with you guys about our story without, you know, uh, being, having emotional reaction, it seems on camera or like being unaffected by it. Um, and obviously that's not true. Uh, we, we are yeah. uh, affected by it as we go through this process. It has been, um, I mean, it's, it's helped us process a bit, but, uh, you know, even learning about each other's experiences a little bit more. Cause it's not like we haven't talked about a lot of these topics before and gone very in depth with each other. I mean, literally for for the last five years, years, (laughs) we've gone over these stories over and over and over again, just trying to process things and put piece things together and put, you know, all of the different, uh, bits of information that we've received into some sort of story that makes sense as to why, things went down the way that they did. Um, and it's been a long and emotional process. And even now, you know, a lot of the things that we talk to do affect us, but, um, on camera and like for the podcast, we want to do this in a very strategic and, uh, helpful manner that we are, are very, uh, purposeful with. So, um, we, we, it's not as though these topics don't affect us as we talk about them. Um, oftentimes that just happens off camera. And especially, mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, you can talk about this a bit more too, but especially in our line of work, we've had to learn how to compartmentalize, you know, and uh, certain things so that you can be on and like do your job in one manner. And then you can deal with the aftermath and the emotions and all of those things later, like working in the emergency room, you can't, Mm -hmm. you can't be emotional. uh, You know, when serious things are happening, you have to manage that crisis. And, And so I think both of us have kind of learned how to, that there's a time and a place to be able to, um, you know, 
break down and process and have those levels of emotions. Um, and sometimes that's not, you know, on camera. <laughs> yeah. I think the last couple of episodes, there's been a couple of moments where you can tell, um, that things get a little bit shaky for us. Um, there are things that hit me and hit Isaac differently. Um, based on our own personal experiences, I think, um, you know, for me, not only being emergency room, Isaac's absolutely right. Like, could you imagine having a life threatening situation happening and having all your nurses and your doctors like freaking out <laughs> and having an emotional breakdown when you, you went into the emergency room? Pressure. Yeah. You yeah. So like pressure. it is, <laughs> it is a skill set that you develop. Um, to be able to compartmentalize, um, you know, for me personally, I also like we've talked about this before. I grew up in an environment where I had to emotionally compartmentalize in order to, I guess, survive the chaos. Right. Um, it's Isaac and I both and Isaac can talk about his, but like I've done a lot of work over my lifetime therapeutically um, even prior to Eric dying on addressing, um, how to manage my emotions, how to even access my emotions for a long time. My emotions were very cut off. Um, it's been a, a long journey. I'm, I'll, I've been actively in therapy for a very long time. Um, specifically a therapy that is very, very helpful in dealing with any sort of trauma is called EMDR therapy. Uh, it stands for I, movement desensitization and reprocessing and um we'll link it in um the show notes below um so you can check it out but it's something that i was doing prior to eric dying it's something that i did have done and continue to do um extensively since eric died i've done some other therapeutic things they've all been um necessary. So like Isaac said, we've spent a lot of time working on and processing and working through our grief, not only with each other, but in our own therapeutic settings with our therapists. We've, um, I know for myself, um, and again, I'll let Isaac talk about his experience, but I had, I eventually went to see a psychiatrist. Um, year two was literally like the worst year, um, leading up to the second year anniversary of Eric's death. I've never ever in my life experienced something so awful, um, and difficult, uh, in my life. I've never had that type of anxiety before. I would say I probably dealt with mild depression. Uh, I literally just kind of checked out a life uh, for that year. And so in addition to therapy, I mean, I eventually got to a point where I decided I needed to be on medication too. Um, and so, um, you know, we, we've done that or I've done that, been on, on medication specifically. Another recommendation I make is uh, going to a psychiatrist versus your general practitioner. Um, if you're looking to get on any sort of mental health medications, um, anti-anxiety meds, um, antidepressants. And I say that, um, just in the 
sense that, and I get that psychiatry is a very difficult, it's very difficult to get an appointment sometimes. Um, they're getting better now with like the, the pandemic. There was a lot of things switched over to telehealth. So things are a lot yeah. more accessible. I would um, say, I would say the importance of, of that versus your family doctor, mm-hmm. um, the good analogy. And I don't remember if I've said this on the podcast already or not, but it's similar to like, you know, if you have a problem you know, with your plumbing in your in your house, you can mm-hmm. you can get a general contractor to come fix it, but they're not going to do as good a job as a plumber who is specialized for the job, you know. And right. so like you can think of in the medical field, there's different specialties for different doctors. There's emergency, there's critical care, there's surgery, there's all sorts of different. And even within like surgery and stuff, there's hand surgeons and then there's cardiac surgeons and then there's neurosurgeons and all of them are specialized for a reason because each one of those things is so complicated. And so mental health is an extreme and mental health drugs specifically are very complicated uh, to very get them right. And, um, and so, yeah, you can go to your general doctor and, and get something and they have, you know, they have a, a basic tool list and things that they, they will prescribe and, and um, but they're not going to do as good of a job helping you and your situation specifically as a specialist being a psychiatrist who is trained specifically in mental health type stuff. Um, so- yeah. And I, and I think, yeah, specifically psychiatrist too, is that, so your general practitioner, if, if you're dealing like with mild forms of anxiety or just like a really mild form of depression, it just kind of popped up, um, you know, going to your general practitioner and starting out to get on something they, they Family doctors are family doctors because they know a little bit about everything. So they can kind of address a little bit about everything. So if you're dealing with something that's super mild, yeah, go talk to your primary doctor. They might start you on something. It might be helpful. They might refer you to a I, psychiatrist. Um, unfortunately, I think what happens a lot with mental health medications, because it is not a one size fits all, there are a lot of different types of medication and they all work um differently for different people um is that sometimes people go to their general practitioners to get on like antidepressants or something to help with their anxiety and they're like this doesn't work well that's stupid now i just don't i'm not going to go on medication um because it can be a process and sometimes you might not get it right the first time however your chances of getting the right combination of medications right the first time um increase by going to see a psychiatrist. A psychiatrist is a medical doctor who specializes in psychiatric or medications that are for mental health conditions. So they are the experts of all uh, medications related to mental health. Yeah. And I, and I think, um, you know, obviously that that's an important role for people who are, are you know, confused about that. But um, back to the the topic that we were talking about in terms of yeah. like our abilities to talk about these these things that are very vulnerable and, and near and dear to us. Um, as you said, I mean, you've talked about some of the work that you've personally done. I've done the same thing. We've on this podcast we've preached a lot about um, healthy coping mechanisms and doing yeah. and being very passionate about me- mental health. And honestly, for me personally, at least. Part of the reason why I'm so passionate about mental health is because I've seen firsthand what it does when you're uh, when you neglect it in 
this exact story with my dad. Um, yeah. And so. And I've seen it. And and so as that, a result yeah. of that, you know, and you have helped me through a lot of these with these resources and stuff and taught me a lot about this, uh, these things. But yeah, I mean, I've done I've done my own work on myself, therapy, EMDR, um, you know, same thing. I've been uh, I, I've had my stint of being on on mental health meds and stuff. And um, and a lot of times. I think a lot of times people think that that medication is going to fix it and it doesn't. That's mm-hmm. not how that works. What it does is it makes it makes whatever you're dealing with more easy or easier to deal with, easier to bear so that you can actually function enough to focus on on um, the deeper problems. So like with anxiety or depression, they're often sourced in um, a much deeper problem with within your life, whether it be past trauma or whether it be certain habits that you have or, you know, all those all of those sorts of things. And if you're and if you struggle with depression or anxiety, they can make them very difficult. Those things in and of themselves can make it very difficult to actually deal with the source of the problem. And so medications can oftentimes help you function enough to where you can start doing that work. Once you've done the work, though, um, and you've processed a lot of those things, um, it's a lot easier to deal with once you've found those healthy coping mechanisms and you've integrated them into your, you know, your daily life or whatever. So like when it comes to all of this and talking about all this, you know, we wouldn't be, uh, we do practice what we preach when it comes to yeah. to mental health stuff. We talk about this stuff because it works and because it's worked for us. And that's why part of why we wanted to share this story in the first place is, you know, we've dealt with grief, we've dealt with trauma, we've dealt with loss, we've dealt with all of these things. And yet we've still managed to be resilient and still managed to come out with a positive outlook because we've learned ways to cope healthily and ways that really do work. Um, and not a lot of people really understand how these things work. And so, you know, because we've not only been through it, but we've learned about it from a medical standpoint within our jobs and that sort of Mm -hmm. thing, you know, uh, it's something that we feel we can talk about and hopefully help other people with. Uh, we have an we have a unique perspective, and then, you know, I have a longer history of just dealing with family trauma and things like that as well. So, like, you know, uh, since I've been your age, I've been working on my mental health and uh, uh, emotional health. You know, like it's been a very big driving force in my life to make sure that I myself was emotionally healthy. Um, as your mother, because, you know, that all affects everybody. And I, and I wanted to be, I think too, my motto in life has always been, I want to thrive. I don't just want to survive in this world. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go through life every day, just dragging and just trying to survive. I want to thrive and have joy and love and happiness and be excited about what I'm doing. All of that stems from your mental health and your ability to exactly, um, you know, because because literally it affects everything in your life. It affects your ability to function in daily life. You know, we've all heard about debilitating anxiety that prevents you people from 
interacting with the world or debilitating depression that prevents you from getting out of bed in the morning or any of those things. Uh, and, and all of that stems from, you know, I experienced that <laughs> in, yeah, in yeah. year two of grief. Um, so, but yeah, I, I think too, that like, it just is, it's such a thing that we're super passionate about. We're really, we really feel strongly about, and, um, it does affect us when we talk about this stuff. So like it, but we both have our own healthy coping mechanisms and things that we do in our personal lives that help us to be able to talk about to, these things in a right. productive manner. Yeah. I'm, now we couldn't have, I, I was going to say ahead. we couldn't have a podcast and be able to tell this story if we're literally breaking down every two seconds. Now mm. I will say for me personally, um, I can compartmentalize. I talk, we, we go through the story when I am done recording a session, I can tell it affects me. I'm drained. Uh, Sometimes I'm a little bit agitated. Um, So there's still triggers. There's still things that hit you. Um, And then I also, I have a harder time like sometimes watching such um, episodes back. So especially the last few where we've talked about just your dad's mental health, the state that he was in, how he felt about himself how sad he was like all that stuff that stuff is is challenging for me because it literally still i've said it several times it breaks my heart to know that he felt like like that he was struggling with that um that's harder for me to talk about um and things that are probably harder for me to talk about are um you know like when it comes to you know the physical aspects of like his death and then even a lot of those moments of uh the the week that happened after and the funeral and like us seeing his body and um you know the aftermath really um i would say that stuff doesn't i worked through that stuff fairly early on about being able to like yeah. talk about that i mean they were obviously traumatic events but but the things that that are hardest for me to talk about and will actually be coming up fairly soon um, is regrets in like how um, how I personally treated him because I didn't I didn't have the understanding that I wish I did that I do now. Um, you know, I. I at times wasn't the most pleasant towards my dad when he was going through you know, what likely was the hardest time in his entire life. And I didn't cut him a lot of slack, not as much as I should have. And, um, you know, and there's a, we'll, we'll get into it more, I think next episode, especially, but there's definitely, and, and I, I know even in the last episode, you know, I talked about it a little bit, but there's definitely things that I thought and, um, you know, things that I said that I very deeply regret and wish that I didn't because he didn't deserve it. Um, and that I never would have, if I would have known better. And those are the things that I think affect me the most because I loved him, you know, I cared about him and, uh, to know that my words may have had an impact on him or, you know, the way that I treated him probably had an impact on him negatively when he was already going through the hardest point in his life. You know, yeah. that hurts me. Yeah. Yeah. And and 
and we'll we'll talk about that more in the next episode and and we we have well <laughs> we've talked about it a little bit but we're gonna we're gonna get there i i i think we just really wanted to just address the fact that like it's we have a unique ability of being able to set our emotions aside for the most part to talk about this whole process and this whole story. We wouldn't have been able to do this three years ago when we first had this idea. It's been a journey. It's been an active every day, constantly working on, uh, you know, the grief, the, the emotional wellness, all of those things, processing our feelings. And when I say compartmentalizing too, it's important to remember that we compartmentalize during the episodes, but we release it afterwards. That's part of the healthy part, right? Like we don't mm-hmm. hold on to that and then just ignore it and pretend like we don't feel bottle, those things. We like- don't bottle it up and let it, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that's the part of that that gets uh that gets draining is when you you people tend to compartmentalize but then they don't revisit those feelings and then they yeah. bottle it up and bottle up and then it shows up elsewhere at some point. Yep. Um, and yeah, so it the, will come out know, even, if you don't deal with yeah. it. <laughs> well, and even my friends and stuff too, like, you know, they, sometimes there's been a common theme of like, Oh, you talk, you know, you, I talk about this and how it's affected me a lot. And part of that is my way of processing, but it's also mm-hmm. like, most people don't talk about these things and how they really affect them. And we should uh, be. And we should be. And and I can speak firsthand to how it it is such a release to be able to to be vulnerable in a free way in a safe environment. Um and it, you know, that's how I managed to be happy is because I I do have people and I have ways of of uh talking about the things that are bothering me that are healthy and that that you know don't put it on other people you know it's not it's not like uh you know you're you're trying to to put your problems on other people but um but being able to just talk and like um and have those feelings that's the biggest thing is being in, being having people around you where you can just have those feelings and nobody's going to judge you for it. You're, they yeah. don't make you feel bad for it. Like that is a very powerful thing as well. And, and so I think this kind of conversation actually goes really well into what the next part of the story mm-hmm. um, about Eric uh, is, which is right after detox and what happened, you know, he got out of detox in December, you know, so over the next few months, kind of what happened with him and trying to trying to resolve uh, or yeah. trying to to heal after all the things that we yeah. have gone through. Um, and yeah, right before I'm, I'm, we'll jump right into that, picking him up from a detox. But just to add on to what you just said, um, it is important to release those emotions, to have a safe space to talk about them. Um, it's also, I think, really important for people to recognize, and this is part of this journey and talking about our our experience with this loss, it doesn't go away. Like, mm-hmm. the loss, the grief, it doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. You, like, literally, I think, 
there's not one second that Eric is not in the back of my mind. It, it I think about him all the time. I think mm-hmm. about everything all the time. So it doesn't go away. And um, I do think that sometimes people think that talking about it or bringing it up makes it worse. And like, oh, that's going to make you so sad. I don't want to make people sad. I don't want to remind them. And um, it's a misconception, a, a myth. It's something that a lot of people who have experienced this type of loss will tell you that when people won't talk about that person, it is actually worse. It's, it's isolating. It, it makes you feel isolated and it, and, um, and it, like I had said in a previous episode, like sometimes it's just nice to be seen, you know, yeah. to, to have somebody say, I see what you're going through. You know, I, I see all of these things, you know, and also, on that same point of like, you know, I was saying I have friends that I can talk about these things freely with and um, they don't judge me for having, you know, those emotions about it. Also, be that type of friend, be that friend yeah. for other people, you know, uh, be a friend who's born for distress, be somebody who, you know, people can come to you and because that's what true friendship is. It's not just the people that you have uh, good times with and that you, you goof around and you, and you do dumb stuff and you, you know, whatever it's, it's the people that you can rely on in your life and who will Mm -hmm. be there for you when you're having a hard time and who will just listen and they won't judge. And they know you're not putting your problems on them or at least not trying to. Um, but they're there to offer their support and a, and a, you know, an ear to listen, shoulder to cry on, you know, and so if you're in that position to be that friend, be that friend because you have no idea the impact that has on other people. Yeah. And I and I do think it makes uh again going back to the grief part and um there is this sense of and I think we talked about it very early on in the podcast. There's this sense of like people have this idea that like you go through this certain stages and then like you're done and then and then people don't bring up that loved one anymore. People don't say their name. People don't want to talk about it because they're afraid it's awkward or it's going to be weird. Um, and then what it does to somebody who ha- is grieving that loss, uh, whether it's a spouse, a child, a parent, uh, anyone who's an integral part of your life, you know, having that type of loss, when you stop talking about that person, um, or when not like you, like we want to talk about that person, but when other people stop talking about that person, it almost feels as if they never existed. And that is an extremely painful thing to feel. Um, so that's just a little like tangent. Um, and when I, and when Isaac says be that friend also, um, recognize there's two things to think about. One, recognize your boundaries though. So like if there's mm-hmm. something that isn't good for your own mental health, you have to have those boundaries in place with people. Um, and then also too, yes, it is important to talk about your feelings and to be able to have that safe space to um, discuss things that are emotionally affecting you. However, your friends are not your therapists. They right. are not your mental health professionals. So they're there to support you. But if you are only dumping emotionally on your friends and not 
proactively working on your mental health in other ways, as in seeing a professional to help you move forward to process that stuff in a healthy way, then it becomes a more toxic uh, codependent situation. So there's right. a fine line between that. So just, you know, those are things to just keep in mind as you're yeah. thinking about those things. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I talk about that, it's not like I'm dumping on my friends all the time. It's just, no, I feel yeah. safe. I, I, I What I mean by that is, you know, I feel safe to mention my dad or mention something that's affected me. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if I'm having a bad day and I'm around my friends or whatever, I don't feel like I have to put on a front pretend. with them. Yeah. And pretend yeah. that everything's okay when it's not. And that that's all right. I mean by that. It's like, it's not like I'm going around and, and you know, dumping all of my problems on my friends. And, and no. like that and- is, that's problematic. But, um, but if you can be that friend where, you know, don't, don't be the friend where, you know, somebody's having a bad day and you avoid them because you don't want it to bring you down. That's, that's yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, a true, and, a and true again- friend you know, yeah. will, will be there on your bad days just as much as they're love you on your good days. You yeah. Know. And I, and, and I vice versa. That, yeah. I think that with any healthy relationship, um, there's, there's a saying that healthy relationships have boundaries. So as long as mm-hmm. you understand what your boundaries are and your friends understand what the boundaries are and everybody's got their things, they, everybody's got their triggers, their things that, they can't deal with, they're not the best person maybe to talk to about certain things because it's not good for them or vice versa. I mean, you figure that out in your own friend group or your support system, but healthy people have boundaries. And so Mm -hmm. again, it just all comes back to, you know, doing that work for yourself, but then also surrounding yourself with those people like Isaac's talking about who you don't have to put on a face if you're just having a rough day. And also, you're not expecting people to fix it for you. Like you can't fix grief. It doesn't go away. Sometimes you just are sad and Mm -hmm. it's okay. It's okay to be sad. Um, You know, so uh, I also just want to share something that I saw recently um, about like grief as a whole. And I thought it was fairly profound, which is um, grief is just love that can't be expressed anymore. When you lose somebody and you're Mm -hmm. grieving them, all of those feelings is all the love you had for that person that you can no longer give them. Uh, And I thought that that was a very profound, um, you know, just a profound thing to think about of when that when when you lose somebody. All the love that you would have given them over the years to come and all the love that you had for them no, no longer has anywhere to go. And then it yeah. presents itself as sadness and as yeah. loss. And I thought mm-hmm. that, yeah, I just thought that was a very. Um, That's pretty profound. It ties mm-hmm. into also why it's so important to not stop, to, like to allow people that space to talk about them. Because that's the thing is like when I talk about my dad, even though sometimes it might make me feel a certain way, all it is is me trying to show my love for him because I can't show it to him anymore. You know, so I have to share it with other people. Exactly. Okay, so he goes through detox. <laughs> We're gonna jump into it now. <laughs> right. Right. So on the on, um forty five minutes in, and we're gonna jump into yeah. <laughs> to finally finish. You know, continuing the story. But welcome, um, welcome to our TED talk. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, so 
after detox, you brought him home. Yeah, so he was there, and like I said, you and I, I can't, neither of us can remember if it was three or five days. I don't, it was no longer than five days. It was a very weird time, very strange uh, for, I don't, for both of us, but for me, I know I had mentioned just not being able to talk to him. Obviously, like this bombshell was dropped, and because of the seriousness of it, it was like bomb dropped immediately put into detox so he could safely withdraw from alcohol but couldn't have any contact with him and so it's a whole week of what the heck just happened like again kind of like at the beginning when he died it's this like shock of like shock and reeling and you're left yeah you're left reeling and trying to figure out what's what just and happened? When we, and we, oh, go ahead. I was like, when <laughs> we when we went to visit him, it was, um, you know, like we said, it it, it was weird. Uh, mm-hmm. it, he obviously was very much in the middle of withdrawing, and so there was let's, a lot let's... of unspoken stuff. So it was weird. So we had, you know, so that whole week was just a very strange week. Mm-hmm. So we go pick him up. So let's, yeah, let's jump in. So I don't. Rem- I think you went and picked him up by. I yourself. did by myself. Um, yep. And I don't, I honestly don't remember. I really don't remember uh, much of what happened in the immediate aftermath uh, after detox and whatnot. I do remember, um, you know, I already still kind of had a lot going on in my life. So I kind of, I kind of focused a lot on, you know, my friends and like my, uh, you know, maybe trying to distract myself from a lot of what was going yeah. on at home. Um, and I do remember, you know, you, he was going to jump right back into going to work. Like he was like, Oh, we need, you know, we need money. We need to go back to work. And, and you kind of put your foot down and we're like, no, you're going to, you're going to take some time off. You know, you are not. Yeah. So why don't you well, uh, talk about kind of what, ha- kind of your ultimatums with him, uh, regarding the next steps you know talk about him taking yeah. the time off of work and and kind we of gotta focusing stop. on certain things yeah we gotta stop because someone just knocked on my door and i you can i don't know if you could hear it give me a few uh, seconds but, okay my mom ditched me so uh I might leave this part in. I might not. We'll see. But if I do, just know that's what happened. She left for no reason. Um, didn't even say goodbye. She'll be gone forever, I guess. You know. So, I guess I'll just continue the podcast by myself. You know. Um, probably going to cut a lot of this out. I probably won't keep it in. Um, this whole episode has kind of gone really off topic. So, um, probably wouldn't even be that weird for me to keep it in, but, um, apparently someone was at her door. I'm guessing, you know, it could be a whole lot of things, you know, uh, it's it's probably, probably some unsavory folks, uh, or, you know, could be an ice cream man, you know, delivering some, some ice cream. Probably food, to be honest, or one of her bajillion Amazon packages. 
who knows? Who knows? Um, maybe it's just a, a good Samaritan that found her dogs on the side of the road because they got out somehow. Who knows? I'm sure that's not the case, but we'll see what's going on. Oh, looks like she's back. And she's smiling, so it must have been a good thing. Um, but we'll see. I don't know if we'll keep that in or not. Maybe we will. I heard your commentary because I still had my, uh, <laughs> my ear in. <laughs> Okay, well. Um, uh... So, yes, he wanted to go back to work right away when he got out of detox. Um, and I think, again, that was just his own brain thinking, okay, I detox off alcohol. It's out of my system. I'm fine. I can go back to work. And again, me having a lot more experience with it for various reasons. Um, I was like, nope, absolutely not. This is not, you can't go back to work. Cause, uh, you know, but he had a couple more weeks off, uh, after detox. Um, but then he would have started back up and, and gotten back into his regular, um, grind, which at that particular time was travel out of state Monday through Friday. So he was in the, he was on a big project uh, where he was gone Monday through Friday and, uh, and he spent a lot of time alone. So not only was he actually like having to be social and doing, you know, working with clients and customers all of that, but then also he was in a hotel room alone all the time by himself outside of that. And um, clearly he has crossed over into alcohol addiction uh, and I think it was very obvious that it was like, this is not going to work for you to just go back to work and act like nothing happened. Like, that's just not how this works. Um, so yeah, I, I did put my foot down around, you have to take time off from work. Um, and he did, he, he did, he talked to his boss and I, I was actually really surprised, um, to be perfectly honest, that he talked to his boss and he told him what was actually going on, not just, I need to take time. I mean, he had, in his job, like I said before, he was highly regarded. Uh, you Everybody know, loved I mean, him. He could, like, he could have asked he for the a, moon and they would have gave it to him. <laughs> so I think I think I mean did. everybody loved him. He had people from um from all over the country at his funeral from from his job. Which, like yeah. his direct boss about, yeah. and his boss's boss both like adored mm-hmm. him. Yeah. Know? And I think um, you know, like literally he could have asked for the moon and it, they probably would have gave it to him. Um he so he didn't have to tell them. He didn't have to tell his boss what was going on. He could have just said, I really need to take some personal time. Um, and I believe he took about a month off um, after after he, uh, not just after he finished detox, but a month off after he would have normally gone back to work. So it ended up being like a month and a half. Yeah, because he, he had work. like the, because he got yeah. off detox and then it would have been like the Christmas, New Year's kind of time off that he would have had. Yeah. And then you know so he didn't go back to work until like the very end of january i think exactly exactly and so um because i was just like here's the thing is uh you there's there's two options like the detox is the first step this isn't this this isn't fixing you um clearly there's an issue and 
clearly you're dealing with anxiety, clearly you're dealing with depression. They're probably at the root of what's going on with you. Um, and you just jumping right back into work is not going to fix this problem. We're going to be right back where we just start, like where we just came from. Um, and so I did. So he took the time off from work. Very surprised. He taught, he, he told his manager, his boss, like truthfully what was going on. And I don't know if there was like a piece of him in the back of his head that was like, I just need to start maybe putting some accountability parameters in place. Um, and the other person that he told during that time in his job was um, an account manager that, so like in his job, he was like a, a tech, a service tech. His job was the more technical aspect of, of caring for the customer. Um, and he worked and in he also like, a supervisor as well. That was like before this particular, oh. this particular job, he, he was like a consultant essentially um, is probably the easiest way to put it. But like his was more on the technical aspect of it. So like he worked with the clients who were already customers of this company. Um, and his job was to ensure that technically and, and chemically and all that stuff that like their, their stuff, their product came out the way it yeah, came out the way it was supposed to. So in his line of work, he also was partnered with an account manager who was the sales part of it. They were the people that were continuing to um, sell that particular product for the company, build those relationships with the clients, bring on those accounts, etc. So he worked very closely with his account manager. They were basically like a team. They worked all of the accounts together but in different functions. So not only did he tell his boss, but he also told his account manager who he was pretty close to, um, like to the point where like they had, they had a client that was up uh, Northern Minnesota that was close to where his account manager lit, uh, lived or had a cabin or something. And they used to go fishing all the time together. So like, he told him as well. And I think it was sort of like a built-in accountability um, in the back of his mind, thinking if these two people who I trust at work know that I'm struggling with this, um, obviously I'm going to be less inclined to like drink. You um, have somebody else to keep you who's accountable. Aware. Yeah. Right. Some, some safety um, measures per se. Yeah. Some safety mechanisms. So, um, so he obviously, again, I think these were just all signs that he recognized that this was out of control and that this was something he wasn't going to be able to fix, um, on his own. So I, I don't recall him putting up a big fight on that whole having to take time off either. Um, so yeah, so yeah, I, I think, I think he really was, I think he really was kind of scared actually of what mm -hmm. was going on with him. Well, I'm, sh I'm sure he learned a lot in detox as well about kind of what, what really the problem was. Cause like, like Some we kind of mentioned yeah. when you go through that, you know, you meet with doctors, you meet with psychiatrists, you meet with 
you know, a, a yeah, few different it's not, types of people in detox. It's not just it's not just getting you off the substance. Like they teach you about what's going on, and so I'm sure he learned a lot about kind of what had happened to him or like what had happened. Yeah, within his well, addiction. they said they set you up with resources because again, detox right. does not. It's not rehab. It's not right an aftercare. It's literally just to get that substance mm-hmm. out of your system. Um. So, so then, then, go ahead. <laughs> uh, so then, my other thing with him was, I knew he wasn't going to go to an inpatient rehab facility. Like it just, he wasn't going to do it. I know he wouldn't. Um, but he also needed help, and I also knew that, um, he wasn't just going to be able to will himself to stop drinking. Like there were underlying things as we've talked about extensively that contributed to this like slippery slope, the spiral down. Right. And, um, uh, and I'm going to say that my personal opinion based on lots of experience in my own life and seeing people deal with this type of disease in my medical profession, seeing people deal with this type of disease. It is my opinion that the road to recovery and health is not a one size fits all. There are a lot of people who benefit from things like AA, inpatient rehab, all of those types of like programs that they have out there for them. Um, but I don't subscribe to the idea that those are the only ways to treat this problem. Well, I mean, there's a um, reason, there's a reason why there's, you know, a ton of different options. I mean, they say a lot of, even at the hospital, like we set you up with like a whole resource book, um, you know, if you want it for the, you know, there's detox, there's rehab, there's, um, social work, there's like, there, there's tons and tons of resources and everybody kind of has to go on their own path. But like, you know, whether it's, whether it's dealing with just a one-on-one therapist and a psychiatrist or like, you know, dealing with a psychologist, which is different, (laughs) um, or, uh, or doing AA and rehab or, you know, sometimes AA is good because you build a community of people who kind of keep each other accountable, um, but yeah, just like anything in life, there's a lot of nuance and a lot of different ways to come to the same right. outcome. Yes. It's not, and I do uh, think, you know, yeah, a- and everybody so is different. Everybody is different. And what sobriety looks like is different for everyone. Um, so I didn't subscribe to that, like he has to go to AA and he has to go to a inpatient rehab facility. He has to do all these things. Um, I also knew he wouldn't do it. Right. So like, could you imagine your dad going to an inpatient rehab? He just wouldn't have done it. Um, mm-hmm. And so I gave him two choices, right? Because I knew he wasn't going to do the one choice, but the other choice was the thing that I thought would help him the most. Um, so I said, you know, you have two two choices. This is where we're at in this this process. Um, you can go to inpatient rehab while you take this time off and work a program, right? Like get the help, 
work a whole program, be in a facility, be away from alcohol, do all of those things. Or we're going to get you into start seeing a therapist, specifically, again, EMDR. There's a lot of reasons why I'm very, I'm a very big fan of this particular type of therapy, specifically related to trauma. Um, and they do other therapy too. It's, you know, it doesn't just start with EMDR. It's a process. Um, um, but when you get to that point where you're, um, doing the actual EMDR processing, it's very, very helpful for trauma type stuff. And, um, so I, I wanted, I was like, I, I want, you need to see a therapist. And I, I do think, you know, the best option for you would be to see someone who specializes in EMDR. So when you get to that point, um, they can help you with that. And then the other thing was you have been severely depressed for the last year and a half. You obviously have an anxiety issue. You're dealing with insomnia because the summer before he died, we did that sleep study. We knew that he had issues with sleep deprivation. You have all these things going on. We need to get those balanced out. It's not going to fix itself at this point. So the other thing was, in addition to seeing a therapist, I need you to go to a psychiatrist and I want you to get a medication. I want you to address the depression and the anxiety and start dealing with that stuff and being medicated for it so that his chemical balances could get evened out because that's the other thing is that alcohol, as we've talked about before, is a depressant. So his chemicals were completely out of whack, like in his brain in terms of dopamine and serotonin and like all the things that help you regulate your mood and uh, all those things. Um, so I gave him the two choices and I knew he wasn't going to do inpatient rehab, which honestly I did not think was the best option for him anyway. Um, because I think as I still, in my opinion, believe the root of majority of addiction is rooted in trauma and, um, you know, not taking care of your mental health. So he chose the therapy and he chose the psychiatrist, which I figured that's what he would do. Um, and personally, that's what I thought was best for him, um, knowing him as well as I did. So after detox, um, we got that all set up. Uh, very fortunate in the sense that he was able to get started fairly quickly within a couple weeks. Um, at least with the therapist, I think it took a little, maybe another week or two another week or so to get in with the psychiatrist to start getting on medication. Um, and the downside I will say is that unfortunately with medication, especially when you're dealing with depression and anxiety and things like that, but specifically depression, antidepressants and those types of medications can take anywhere from three to six weeks before you start to feel the full effects. It's another reason why people get frustrated with mental health medications and try them and then stop them because they're like, I've been doing it and it's not helping me. It's not an instant gratification thing. You're not able to balance those chemicals out <laughs> quickly. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, I believe he started the medication towards the end of January. So 
he January? No, he was in it might have been early February. End of January, early February that he was finally put on medication because it takes a little while to get these appointments, right? And um and you got to remember it was over the holidays too that all this happened. So we had <laughs> there's a little delay there. Um and unfortunately I do think that he died before he got to feel the full effects of how those medications probably would have helped him. Um, which again, just makes the whole thing more tragic. Um, yeah. Well, you know, he, he was, you know, dis despite all that, like, obviously he was sober for, you know, two months. He went to detox and he was sober for, you know, December, January into February. And he, he was doing a lot better. Like we were starting to see the mm-hmm. Eric that we knew come back. Like, um, you know, part of the whole thing that prompted us to, to, or prompted me even to, to address things in the first place is cause like I said, he wasn't acting like himself anymore. Um, and right. so we were slowly starting to see the version of Eric that we knew and loved so much coming back. You know, he was starting to, to, to do better. He was, um, you know, I think he was generally starting to he was working really hard. I think he was generally starting to to see all of the things that were going on in his life that needed to be addressed. And he was working very, very hard to um, to address those and try to fix them like he was. Yeah, he was trying so hard. He was doing, you know, therapy and he was um you know, and you got to remember this the medications and yeah. And you got to remember, this is a man who literally thought mental health was all in your head, was stupid, didn't exist. Man, up and, and was the it. most <laughs> and was the most stubborn person you have ever met in your entire life. And he's doing these things and he's starting to see how they're helping him mm-hmm. um and and we and, had various know, again, conversations where he would talk about things that like he was learning from his therapist and these epiphanies he was having which was a a new eric for me because again yeah. like he didn't talk about that kind of stuff you know in general well for the fir- <laughs> it- for the first time i think in his entire life he realized you know he was starting to self-analyze and, and, you know, that process of, of, I think that we talked about in the last episode of, of, he was starting to understand himself better, which then ultimately was helping him realize where he was going wrong and what things were problematic in his life. And it was all, it was all on the up and up. Things were doing so he was, he was doing a good job. You know, we were starting to get the Eric that we knew back. Life was, uh, you know, normalizing a little bit. I mean, still, obviously, we were dealing with this. But, like, especially for me, I think because mm-hmm. being a teenager, I was back in school. I was back, you know, to work. Um, you know, I was in EMT school now in this new semester. I was back to work. I was back to hanging out with my friends. You know, I knew that he was dealing with this dumb stuff. But I think also I was trying to, like, distract myself and, like, get away but like you know 
him and I started doing some stuff together and hanging out and watching movies like we like we used to. And it had been a while since we had really spent time together, you know, so things yeah. were things were getting better um, yeah. with all of this work. Yeah, he was. It wasn't an overnight thing. It And there was awkwardness that happened as well. It, it, it But it slowly he slowly start started to see this person that you recognized he was coming back and it was um, an interesting thing you know though because you could still tell that the addiction had a grip on him oh yeah um, because absolutely he didn't he still had this mentality of like he still was he was working on it he was doing better but he still had the mentality of i can fix it myself Mm -hmm. and he still had this idea like this focus on the alcohol side of it of like, you know, if I just get through this, then maybe, you know, maybe down the road I can have some drinks with friends and I won't be that guy who, you know, who has to say that he's sober or maybe, you know, maybe I can, maybe I can still fix it and get back to my old way of life. Right. He was still kind of in that mentality too. So things were getting better, but it was, it was still going to be a very long journey to get him to the point where he recognized that the way that he was living before and the way that he was using alcohol before um, was a pro- was problematic for him. You know, and he still he was thought gonna that have he could get to, back. Yeah. That he was going to have gonna to have to be sober. Changes. And, right. And, and we don't know exactly what that journey would have turned out to be. Yeah, it got, because... it got cut very short, unfortunately. And, and I think that was the hard, that was actually a hard thing to process after he died was, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if things, things would have gotten better or maybe would have gotten better or gotten worse or, and you know. And there was yeah. definitely some fear. I think there was some release, relief um, that like. I think both of us kind of felt guilty in some ways after he died because there was a little bit of relief of worry that things were going to get a lot worse and that maybe our because our family I mean I mean there was potential and the reason I there there was potential that our family would have been torn apart by this and the reason I say that is because about um you know he was doing better but about 3 weeks before he died so this yeah. would have been towards the end of February. Um, you know, I remember I remember coming downstairs. I was getting I was packing up, getting ready to go to my friend's house for the weekend. It was a Friday or something. You were at work. Um, and, you know, things had been going good. He had been doing well. And I came downstairs. And I went to say goodbye to him and I could immediately tell that he was drunk. You could smell and, it. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, it wasn't even that. It was. But yes, he, I mean, in addition. I could immediately tell that he was drunk and it was because he was in one of his episodes and I confronted him. I said, have you been drinking? And he said, um, no, I'm just tired. And I said, no, that's not going to work anymore. Like, don't lie to me. Have you been drinking? And he denied it and he denied it and he denied it but he was drunk 
Hey, you know how this works. If you like this episode or just like us in general, you can find us at It's Going Podcast on all the things. Don't forget to check out the links in the description. And thanks for hanging out with us.